Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the First in Orange podcast. This is Denver Post sports writer Kyle Newman, alongside my colleague Ryan O'Halloran, joining us in the studio by show. we got another great show uh, lined up for you here today. We're going to be talking Broncos contract options, the XFL debut, and of course, uh, everyone's favorite right now, Midnight Mel Tucker's departure to Michigan State from CU. So, uh, Ryan, hey, let's start off uh, with the hard news business. Broncos got four players with contract options, but we already know, as John Elway said, uh, Vons will be picked up, guaranteeing him $6 million next year. But still, uh, three pretty big decisions remain here over about the next month for Denver and their front office. Yeah, before you, yeah, Kyle, it's good to be back in Colorado. It only took me uh, 20 minutes to clean off my car from the last week uh, this morning. But um, I'll have you TV up on the other guys. But we'll start with Vaughn since that's the one that's most concrete. And, you know, people are saying, well, it should be a surprise. And, you know, that's what they're going to do. Well, I don't think anything's a surprise when it comes to John Elway and how he feels about a player and a salary. But I think Bradley Chubb's ACL injury coming back from that, I think that has a, a little bit to play with Vaughn Miller. Uh, his option getting picked up. Not that he was on the trading block, but you know, as confident as they are in Bradley Chubb coming back full strength in time for the season from that uh, September 30th knee injury, you, you need two edge rushers. And as much as Vaughn had some dips in his production this year, and the tape don't lie, he did. Uh, you know, he could probably still be a really effective player opposite a healthy Chubb. So that one that make, that one makes makes a lot of football sense and a lot of fiscal sense. Again, folks, First in Orange podcast, Kyle Newman alongside Ryan O'Halloran discussing these Broncos contract options coming up here that they have to decide on. And Ryan, the other three guys we got to talk about here, Ron Leary, uh, Todd Davis, and Brandon McManus, three guys the Broncos have to make a decision on by March 18th. Uh, when you look at Ron Leary, Obviously, I, you know, I think Ron Leary and Todd Davis are, are the big question marks here, especially considering uh, how much the Broncos could save uh, with the cap if they cut him loose. Yeah, I mean, Leary, to me, is a no-brainer. You, you, uh, you move on from him. Uh, you know, they create – the thing about the Broncos, they're, they're in a good spot salary cap-wise. They don't need to make any moves because they're short on space. They're at, like, $61 million as of earlier this week. Uh, but – the thing with Ron is he hasn't been able to make it through a full season. Right. And at some point, what you believe he is when healthy isn't as important as what he's costing you when hurt. And, you know, this most the last part of this year, the concussion, then an Achilles the previous year, then a, a back injury two years ago in his, in his first season with the Broncos. And I think with Mike Munchak as the O-line coach, you know, they drafted Dalton Reisner, made the transition from right tackle to left guard and was a very consistent player. I think they look at this draft uh, that saying, hey, uh, maybe we can be in the Broncos speaking as they would talk. Hey, maybe we'll find another interior guard this year, another interior lineman, plug and play, re-sign center Conor McGovern. You have a young line that can be together for a lot of years and have shown no signs of bad health. So I would move on from Larry. Todd Davis is more interesting, though. Um, I I think they will pick up that option. And what was the guarantee again? Guarantee is only five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and to me that makes that decision easier. And you know the way what I've heard around the league, you know, about a Todd Davis scenario is you pick up the option, but that doesn't mean he's on the roster in week one. Uh, you know, he's part of the offseason program. He competes for a starting job. If they if the draft doesn't fall the way they want, 
then you could probably get another year out of him alongside Alexander Johnson. If you draft an inside linebacker who is a quick study and it shows that he can cover better than Todd, maybe Todd Davis could be one of those you know late cap uh, late camp uh, cuts through no you know you just move on to the next guy. So I think I think for the Broncos it makes it makes a lot of sense uh, to pick up Todd's option and the same with McManus. Um, you know yeah, I thought he had a decent season. It's just I I think Brandon falls into the category of okay he's the one you know. So it's, it's, it's easier to keep him than it would be to find a replacement and go young that way, especially because I think they'll probably, they may go young at punter. They're going to have competition with Wadman. So uh, to review, Vaughn had picked up. I would pick up Larry. I would pick up Todd Davis, and I would pick up McManus. Yeah, Ryan, make a lot of good points there. Uh, like you said, with Ron Leary, limited to six games last year, 11 games in 2017, uh, had the concussion, missed the final quarter of the season this, this past year in 2019. So if his option's picked up, he's guaranteed $1.5 million of his 2020 salary. If they wanted to maybe be a little more conservative, uh, if they didn't draft somebody, like you said, that they can plug and play, as they did with Dalton Reisner last year. Uh, Todd Davis... As we just mentioned, only 500k of his salary guaranteed if they pick up his option. Cutting him would save five million in space, and McManus is due a three million dollar salary with one million of that guaranteed. Yeah, and, and, the, and the tricky part about this NFL calendar is you can't, you know, you you, don't, you can't have a replacement sign from another team and then decide on the option. The option part comes first, and you know, if if, if the Broncos announced like. Uh, before the deadline, hey, they're not picking up Todd Davis's option. To me, that means all signs are pointing to it. They're getting, re- they're getting ready to sign a guy they know they're going to get, and for big money to take that salary spot and then some. And because this this team needs better inside linebacker play. Todd Davis had a ton of tackles, but you know, Big Fangio's defense calls for their inside linebackers to be adept in coverage, and you know they, that left a lot to be desired. Alexander Johnson is an older player, but a young NFL player. And right now, AJ is still at a C-ball, hit-ball guy. Right. That's fine. He, he gets to the football fast, and he gets there in a bad mood. The coverage part leaves a lot to be desired, same with Todd Davis. So I think there's going to be upgrades. I want to rule out them having two new inside linebackers for week one in 2020. And, have, and maybe Johnson is you know, somewhat of a part-time player. It depends on what Vic Fandrew really thinks of those uh, – the, the players he has on the roster right now. Okay, folks, first in Orange podcast, Kyle Newman alongside Ryan O'Halloran. Be sure to head to denverpost.com slash Broncos for continued coverage of the team throughout the offseason. Let's, sh- let's shift uh, gears here, Ryan, and talk a little bit about the XFL. And I got to say, uh, I watched several of the opening weekend games. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with the quality of play and, and uh, you know, so even some of the rule tinkerings, they, they didn't bother me too much. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I, I tuned in for a couple of minutes of each game just to see what the crowds were like. And, and a couple of takeaways are that you cannot be playing in NFL stadiums. Uh, it just ruins There is no atmosphere. Right. You saw it in Houston. You saw it in Washington. Smaller venues. Good crowd. 17,000 people in a 25,000-seat stadium. It's kind of cool. 15,000 and 80,000 seat stadium looks like a joke. Okay, that's the attendance part. Quarterback play, it just confirms it's tough to find one. The same with offensive line play. But from an NFL perspective, I look at what they're doing with with some of their uh, rules enhancements. The kickoff thing, something the NFL Competition Committee, which John always remember, I got to look at. I mean, I think John.
John is John is a guy who likes the kickoff return as a part of the game, and I, I thought that was an enjoyable play. The big thing is, and it's a very easy fix, is having fans be able to listen on the replay official. I think that means the NFL has nothing to hide, and I, I thought that was the most interesting part. You know, I was flipping through the channel as a replay review. I stopped my tracks. I wanted to see what the, what the conversations were. And it all goes back to time on the clock, down in distance, where the ball is spotted. And also, is the call confirmed or is it overturned? I thought that was spectacular. And, and Oliver Luck, the commissioner, did a great job, you know, uh, thinking of that, that rule. But, you know, AAF last year was a week one buzz. And then they're out of business by the end of the season. They didn't right. make it to the finish line. Let's see what week two provides, TV ratings. Uh, you hope the quality of play gets a little bit better, but it, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what the response is from fans watching TV over the next uh, two months. Yeah, and you mentioned the mic'd up refs. I really like the uh, mic'd up coaches, too. You can hear the play calls coming in and stuff. That was really cool. Uh, all four XFL games had announced attendance between seventeen and 18,000. As you said, Ryan, I agree. I mean, I think they got to get out of NFL stadiums, get into those soccer stadiums, those smaller venues uh, to make for a better atmosphere. But Saul beginning, we'll see if the XFL in its second go-round can uh, keep that momentum going and, like you said, Ryan, not flame out like the AAF did last year. Yeah, yeah and, and, and you know, the AAF was beneficial for the Broncos because of Mike Purcell. Right. Who ended up being their starting nose tackle. And, you know, what I'm interested in is, is, the, is the Broncos, when the Broncos start camp in late July with a 90-man roster, is how many, how many of those guys played in the XFL this year? Is it two? Is it one? You know, I, I would think it's going to be a couple guys just because you have the luxury of adding them and, you know, they're not going to cost any money. But it, uh, it should be an evaluation tool for NFL, for NFL front offices saying, hey, we didn't really like this guy coming out of college, but let's take a second look and hey, maybe we uh, maybe maybe we have a fit for him. April twenty seventh, folks. That's the date NFL clubs can request permission to visit with and sign any player who's under contract with an XFL team at the conclusion of their season. Again, first Norge podcast, Kyle Newman alongside Ryan O'Halloran. We were talking Broncos football options. We were talking uh, XFL, and now let's talk a little Mel Tucker. Uh, there was a big, obviously. Storyline in Colorado uh, this week, Mel Tucker leaving CU football to take the head coaching job at Michigan State, uh, leaving the People's Republic of Boulder stunned and with their mouths agape. But, uh, you know, Michigan State backed up the Brinks truck for Mel Tucker, doubled his salary. Uh, as he alluded to in his opening presser in East Lansing, he's going to have a lot more resources in terms of coaching staff, etc. So, you know, as a Buffs fan, if you're a Buffs fan, eh, it's, it's tough. You hate to see how he handled it, going on the radio, going to the donor things when he, he knew this East Lansing gig was locked up. But, I mean, can you blame the guy? It's the coaching business. No, I, I don't. Um, I covered Bell in 2012 when he was the Jaguars defensive coordinator. I liked him a lot. And just as a neutral observer here, I, thought, I like what he was doing with Colorado. But... This is not a miscarriage of justice, people. I mean, you know, yesterday on Twitter, the you know, the Denver media mafia was mobilizing the great effect, saying he's a you know he's this he's that he let his team down. Well, how about Colorado? Did they not step up to the plate? I think it was Kyle Fredrickson who asked that question at the press conference with Rick George yesterday. Uh, did, did see who have a chance to counteroffer it? You know, my my reading between Rick George's words were, uh, we couldn't match it. Yeah, and exactly. To me, 
that said a lot about the state of the Pac-12. And, and I go back, and me and Mark Kizla have this conversation all the time, is I went to Kansas State, graduated uh, <clears throat> a couple years ago, and uh, Colorado in the Big 12 was a rival for Nebraska. It was a rival for K-State. Uh, even Missouri, uh, there is a total influx of Big 12 alums in this metropolitan area. They make the stupid decision to move to the Pac-12. I mean, to me, that to me that hurts your bottom line, hurts your program, and now you're on your you know what third or fourth or fifth coach since you moved to the since you moved to the, the Pac-12 conference. And it, uh, it you know it's uh, it's unfortunate for CU to have to. Uh, you know, circle the wagons like this. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of discussion, national letter of intention. The kids be let out. Well, you know, you still have a scholarship to a, you know, a, a big program at your disposal. So, you know, show up. They probably made the right move with Derek. Uh, with Derek, be a promoted Arab coach. And we'll see what happens after the season. But it, uh, you know, as an NFL writer, I look at the college stuff with uh, maybe a jaded eye, saying it's it's just uh, it's just a different world. Because the coaches have so much power and are able to just leave when they want to. Well, and Ryan, like you said, this says so much more about the Pac-12, I think. I mean, it says a lot about Colorado football and, and the program, even when it's experiencing some momentum, being a sort of stepping stone for guys like Mel Tucker. But uh, the Pac-12 has fallen behind the, all the other conferences. You know, you see Tucker leaving for a mid-tier job uh, in another conference. You see Mike Leach uh, leaving Washington State for a mid-tier job in the SEC. So, uh, and then you look at the television revenues. The, the, the gap is growing between the Pac-12 and all the other uh, Power 5 conferences. And then you look at NCAA or Colorado's NCAA financial report for the fiscal year 2019, CU athletic department had a $3.4 million shortfall. Um, I mean, when, 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 that should also be called the Mike McIntyre shortfall, right? Exactly. Well, you know, when you're paying those big buyouts to, to coaches that don't work out also, that doesn't help. So, I mean, long story short, it's just like Rick George alluded to when the, Hey, did you, did you try and match Michigan state? Well, it doesn't seem like CU could even get in that ballpark. Yeah. Hey, so I got one more topic for you. I was thinking about this as we we're talking since you, since you're one of your uh, wheelhouses is the Rockies. And I may put this in the Sunday notes, you know, uh, the GM for the Rockies, um, comparing him to the GM of the Broncos in terms of how he handles a, you know, disgruntled player. You know, John Elway, uh, day after the season, was asked about Von Miller popping off after that Kansas City game. And, and you know, Elway was very honest and says, hey, guy wants to win. I don't mind that kind of opinions. You know, and basically what he's saying, he wasn't critical of any one player or coach or management. Von was just upset about losing, knowing that, you know, he's on the back nine of his career. You go down to the Rockies, GM, Patrick Saunders from the Denver Post. Was it Breitich, our boy? Yep, it was Breitich. Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
disagree or disagree with Breidich on that. At least he said something. Instead, he, he takes this one where he just looked like a deer in the headlights. Um, uh, being around him, did that surprise you or was that what you expected? You know, that didn't surprise me, but every time he talks to the media, I become a little more disappointed. You know, it's, it's tough to be on a beat and know that you have to, you know, quote unquote, work with this guy from time to time. Uh, as little as he is made available, but you still have to use him as a source occasionally. And, you know, to, to be so flippant to uh, uh, another Colorado sports writer of the year, just like you, Mr. O'Halloran, listen, nobody, no, nobody next questions Patrick Saunders or Ryan O'Halloran. Okay. You're, but, but yeah, I, yeah, just cut you off there a second. I, I've been in Patrick's position before where it's almost like, I mean, you almost, you almost aren't feeling like you're given the GM a lifeline saying, Hey, you're not gonna you're not gonna bring it up, so I'm gonna ask you about it. And it wasn't in a confrontational way. I said, "Hey, we haven't had a chance to talk to you since these comments went public." Right. And and, and I've done that. I've had GMs I've covered ask me to ask him, ask them about certain topics, and they become great quotes. And so Breitich had to know this was coming. And it just I mean it, it was to me it's to me for it was the it was the worst message you could ever send to a fan base many of whom expressed in your story last month are PO'd with the state of this organization in the Rockies. Yeah. Just lack of accountability, lack of leadership. I, I don't get it, you know, and I'm sure Rockies PR is just like, you know, going nuts over how but Jeff Breidich, like you said, you know, he had months to come up with, you know, at least a one or two liner. Hey, we're, we're trying to work things out with Nolan. We're looking forward on winning, but what route does he take? He takes the, you know, Harvard, Ivy League, I'm I'm smarter than you, and it's just it's not a good look. Uh, it, the fans don't appreciate it. I can tell you, the beat writers don't appreciate it. So, especially when we're talking about uh, you know the franchise player here. To to go back to your comparisons, Ryan, I think the comparison between Breidich and John Elway as GMs and as in terms of being accountable, being good with the media, could not be more night and day. Now, of course, we're talking Breidich, who came up. You know, obviously he played baseball at Harvard, but he came up through the MLB front office system. Uh, and then we got Elway, of course, Hall of Fame quarterback, was a player, used to dealing with the media. But you know, just in, even in my short season on the Broncos beat, Ryan, I was pretty surprised, pleasantly surprised to see how available uh, John Elway was, you know, after they traded Manuel Sanders, et cetera, and that he was willing to, to answer any question. You know, he's not going to tell you the whole blueprint, but... He's giving you quality answers, and, and you know you appreciate that transparency. And Jeff Jeff Breidich gets a lot of heat. John Elway gets a ton of heat too, as we've talked about a ton. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't act like he's scared of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and usually when we run an Elway story, you know, the, the, the emails I get from readers are, "Well, I wanted to hear more." And to my response is, "At least you're hearing something." And you know, and, and I'll be the first one to say some of the stuff. You know, when John Elway said last March, Joe Flacco's, you know, got a lot of you know the prime of his career, that kind of thing. Right. I was like, huh? huh? What? Huh? Yeah. What are you talking about? Um, but at least they made for good copy. And I just think that I think the Rockies do have a perception problem. And you know, you can say the same about the Broncos. And you know, really, it's you know, the Avalanche and the Nuggets are are are, are trending the right way. I think the Broncos probably have some momentum, and here's the thing: they got a ton of money to spend, and they will aren't afraid to spend it. Right. The question, the challenge would be: do they spend it the right way? You know, 
I want the Rockies to do well because, you know, high tides raise all boats. And, you know, last, trying to watch that team last year on TV was a chore. I just don't see any hope for them. And, you know, I, I, I love Montford saying they're going to win 94 games. I mean, you know, play the battle him and the Republic when he said that. But it just, uh, it's just, you know, the next, you know, as we're sitting here a year from now, what is the trajectory of the Rockies and the Broncos? Again, folks, first in Orange Podcast, Ryan O'Halloran, that's him. Kyle Newman, that's me. Appreciate you listening in to our extensive coverage of the Broncos, XFL, CU Buffs, and a little Jeff Breidich, John Elway talk. Be sure to head to DenverPost.com slash Broncos for continued coverage of the team throughout the offseason. And until next time, folks, take it easy.